how do I move forward with my life without him? And what's acknowledging death? What's grieving? What, you know, there were just too many questions and nobody to answer them, really. This is Farewelling, the podcast where we talk about death and dying to learn more about living. My name's Karen Busson, and today I'm joined by my friend and farewelling funeral guru, Elizabeth Meyer Karansky. Liz, I like to call her Liz, is a licensed funeral director who came to the field through her own personal experience. She's also a fellow in thanatology, which is the study of death, dying, and bereavement, and she's the author of a memoir called Good Morning, which tells the story of that personal experience. Basically, she's the perfect guest for Farewelling because she shares our passion and a vocation, really, for helping people look at death differently. Hi there, Liz. Hi, Karen. I'm so happy that you're here today. I guess I'd like to start by asking you about before, right? Before things kind of happened that set off a course of events that helped you to kind of find this vocation that is being, you know, a funeral director, but more than that, being like an advocate for humanity and for helping people to really just think about things differently, be more proactive, just to look at it like it's a part of our human experience. Exactly. Just engage with the conversation. Yes. But before all that, yes. the first question I want to ask you is, what was the first time that you remember thinking about death or, or that things die? So I remember as a young child freaking out for multiple nights straight because I couldn't understand this idea of gone. And I grew up, both of my grandfathers had passed away before I was born. And so there's always kind of this looming someone missing. And I must have asked my parents kind of, where are these people? And it was a struggle. When you grow up with a Jewish father and a Catholic mother, you get into some fights in religion school when they try to preach that heaven is where we all go. But at the same time, only Catholic, good Catholic people go there. Mm. So that was five-year-old me. Was My mind was blown. And I remember it really disturbing me, the idea that at some point my parents would die and I would be alone without them. And, you know, the story goes, my older brother would say, well, if you're going, I'm coming with you oh. to my parents. And, you know, clearly they didn't think that was the best idea. Um <laughs> But I remember about probably around that age, probably five, six maybe, you know, freaking out. And it was just an overwhelming, you actually can't fathom this concept of someone just not being there. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like after that, that period of however many nights or thinking about it and maybe talking to your parents about it repeatedly, like, did you ever, I guess I'm trying to get to the heart. Was of I always fixating on death? Kind Apparently of. I was. The story, and this is on video, was that I was playing a game. When, when I'm done with something, I'm done, as you know. Yeah. And it was some teacher or something saying, tell me a story. And they're like, and then what happened? And then what happened? And after school, what did she do? And I finally <laughs> knocked over all the characters. And I said, and then they all died. The end. Oh, wow. <laughs> And 
this story is often repeated in my family as, you know, when you, when you watch the Olympics and you see videos of the kids, you know, little turning cartwheels. And, yes. Oh, she's always meant to be a gymnast. <laughs> they use this as, oh, she was always meant to be a funeral director. That's so yeah. funny. But aside from that, nothing really affected me. Mm-hmm. My grandmother died when I was 19 or so, and it was sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grieved. I loved her very much, but it still wasn't my vocation at that mm-hmm. point. So, yeah, so it wasn't like something that you ever thought about oh, gosh, as no. a career. And no. so before you, you know, took right. that career path, like, what did you think you were going to be? I always, you know, spent my summers working, interning in fashion and PR. I, I did a lot of nonprofit work, worked a lot with a charity in Africa. I thought maybe I'd do that, be there. Mm-hmm. One of those careers. Yeah. Maybe be a lawyer, follow my dad's footsteps. Yeah. You know, I like to argue, but. <laughs> <laughs> and you are very convincing. Well, thank you. <laughs> and very charming and persuasive. So thank you very I much. Can see that. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, you have an amazing memoir. It's a book. Uh, it's called Good Morning. And it is your own personal story of how you you went on this journey. So some of you out there may have read the book. If not, you should get it and read it. But for those who haven't read it yet, can you just tell us a little bit about just that experience of, you know, what happened with your dad and how that brought so you? So when I was 21 years old, my father, who had been sick, he did have cancer, he passed away. And it was sudden, which sounds strange after I tell you that he's sick, but he was one of those larger-than-life people who said, I'm not going to die. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. And I believed him. He'd never lied to me before. Why should this be yeah. any different? And so when he passed, we went to the funeral home, and we went through all the steps that most people take, and it just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, they said to us, what kind of flowers do you want? And if he's Jewish, we shouldn't have flowers at all. And, you know, these very rigid steps. And it didn't feel right. It just wasn't dad. And so we changed everything. And we threw a massive party. <laughs> and at the quote-unquote after party, a lot of dad's friends and family came up to me and said, you know, I don't know how to phrase this, but it was really fun. You know, we had people dancing in the aisles, and that was the goal, right? The goal was to have a party that Dad would have loved. What kind of music was playing in, in the aisles? Right, so Dad was a big classic rock fan. Okay, nice. And so we had speeches from all different walks of life, and afterwards, kind of at the very end, as people are starting to tear, we we played Dad's favorite song, which was Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit. Oh, wow. So it was at a very fancy funeral home, very large, over 500 people there. And all of a sudden, you hear through these speakers, bum, bum, bum. And it's, you know, could it be? And, and it was. And so we went from there to the Stones, a little who. It was I love it, it was fun. We were and everyone kind of looked around and said, can, "Can I dance?" And yeah, of course, yes, you can always dance and you should dance. And so, anywho, people came up to me and said, "If something happens, will you do this for me?" Yes, you know. And I convinced myself truly that this was the silver lining, mm-hmm. and that Dad had to die so that I could save the world of terrible funerals. Wow. Yeah. Was it as it was literal instant. as that moment that you, a light went on? You were like, "Whoa." Yes. Literally, we were at a restaurant, you know, a couple blocks from my mom's apartment. I remember walking from that restaurant home and thinking, huh, okay.
How did your family <laughs> take that? Yeah, so not well. You know, I've always been a little different. I'm, you know, outside the lines. Mm-hmm. I I didn't doubt it for a second. That's what I wanted to do. And to the be fair, my family thought I was just in deep mourning. I was extremely close to my father. And in retrospect, and I talk about this in the book, is in retrospect, I can see where my mom was coming from. Her protective nature, she felt that if I submerged myself in death, I wouldn't be able to properly grieve and move on. That I would just be constantly, and I also, you know, I was working at the funeral home where we had his funeral. Hmm. And so she thought every day I would be reliving what was literally the worst day of my life. Yeah, let's say that about a month or so after your father's funeral, which had taken place at a particular funeral home, you went went. and asked for a job there. Yes. Yes, much against the wishes of my mother. My brother's just exceedingly supportive and kind of felt that this would pass. And he knew that the way to get me to get over something is to let me try it, realize myself that it's a terrible idea, (laughs) and then move on and never talk about it again. My mother was adamant that this was an awful idea and I shouldn't even invest the time of going and buying a black suit, basically. And a pair of aerosols, if uh, I do. The aerosols came later on. I was okay. still convinced that I could pull off my the Gucci heels. loafers early on. <laughs> Your Gucci loafers. Uh, they're really comfortable. Yeah. So I went against everyone's wishes, and I begged for a job at the funeral home. Okay, so there you are. You're you're in this funeral home. I mean, first of all, it's a new career, which when they're, you're learning yes. something new, that's always kind of stressful. But then you add to that that, you're in a place of ritual, a place where, I mean, things are pretty serious mm-hmm. for the most part. And yet, you know, you you made a friend. You used to go and hang out with the guy who was embalmer. The, the embalmer. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, I want to hear about that and how, because in the book, for example, it sounds to me like you were just kind of like not, it didn't really freak you out that much. So you'll learn about me. I oh. found a really good face. Okay. <laughs> most of my life has been internally terrified. <laughs> <laughs> While smiling on the outside. Okay. Um, I'm a fainter. I think that's my body just saying, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But the interesting thing is I was taught in my wonderful high school that you only fear that which you don't know. And part of my wanting to go into the funeral industry was that I didn't know where dad was. I didn't mm. know what death was. I didn't, I couldn't comprehend what we had just done. You know, a week before the funeral, he was with us. Mm. A week after He's not. You know, he's just gone. And what is that? And how do I move forward with my life without him? And what's acknowledging death? What's grieving? What, you know, there were just too many questions and nobody to answer them, really. I didn't take well to therapy. I didn't try it right afterwards, but it never, for me, was the answer. Mm. For me, I had to kind of go in and get to know death. Mm. And we're better than at a funeral home. And so what I found was the comfort in helping others was so selfishly helpful to me. Mm. Being with others while they were grieving and being able to provide some sense of security or of comfort, Mm -hmm. just plain comfort, Mm -hmm. was comfort to me. Yeah. You know, knowing that other people are going through this knowing that at some point they will be okay too and that I will be okay. There is something in that that, you know, you're not alone. And 
you know, maybe making it the experience a little bit easier for them. I'm not going to say better because there's nothing good about it. Not a good experience, yeah. yeah. But if you can make it a little bit easier, hmm. if you can get somebody for just a second to smile, mm -hmm. that was everything for me. You know, I've been in this industry for over a decade. There's no right and wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, as far if you're going to stay inside the boundaries of what's legal, <laughs> then exactly. there are vast options, a vast array of options. So wait, that reminds me. Can I have a Viking funeral, like where they put me on the raft? Speaking of legalities, okay, Game of Thrones, I think it's season three. I don't even remember who died. That's horrible. But they put somebody on the raft. They put them in the water. They put branches and twigs and stuff underneath them and around them. And then someone's supposed to shoot a flaming arrow at the thing, which lights it up. And then, you know, they just float off in a nice little funeral pyre. It's kind of dramatic. It's beautiful. It's still peaceful. But the, the guy who's shooting the arrow originally is like a bad aim. He tries like three mm. times and he doesn't make it. It's so depressing and awful. <laughs> so this guy who the character's name is the Blackfish, he shoots the arrow like and he's a great archer and yeah. it's just like Pew. So I'd like to know, you so said stand in line with what's legal. Is that legal? In America, not so much. <laughs> okay. But, you know, but in Westeros, uh, yeah, in the Westeros. fictional land of Game of Thrones. Well, you can also, so you go to India and go to Varanasi. Okay. And you have all the funeral pyres right there. And then the bodies are brought right into the Ganges. You know, cremated right there. And then the ashes just brought right in. Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, so I'll, we're getting I'll, closer. I'll think about that. <laughs> so... What I would like to say is since you have found this path and this calling and, you know, there's your work life, right? Mm -hmm. And your work life, I know you are a person who, for whom work and life are very much blended together and that you feel very passionately about what you do. But I was wondering how your job has changed your attitudes because now you have an understanding of death as not just a, a ritual or um, a service or a thing that happens, but you know the intimate details of what happens to like a body all those ins and outs that none of us really have any access to and I was wondering how does that how did that transform or did it transform the way you think about your own kind of mortality so I think multifold right so one of the reasons my mom didn't want me in this industry was she said you you smile all the time you're such a happy person this is gonna make you so sad the opposite has happened. I smile even more. Hmm. I am literally one of the happiest people you will ever meet. And I think what happened was I don't let the little things bother me. Is most of us go through our days and get frustrated easily. You know, there are things, quite frankly, every day that are annoying. But for me, I wake up, I'm like, oh, I'm vertical. You know, lucky Amen. me. And I think that that was kind of where my mother came around. And, hmm. you know, now accepts it as her biggest fear is eliminated. I am as cheerful, if not happier. I'm so grateful for every day. And then as far as knowing what happens, it gives me the ability to talk to others. Mm -hmm. My fear is gone. Mm -hmm. And so it means that I like to think of myself as, you know, this liaison between, I say, real people and mm -hmm. real funeral directors. Yes. Um, and I think that that is unique. Most people, when I say I'm a funeral director, they used to just you know, slowly retreat. Yeah. Um, whereas now they say, uh huh, and I get the kind of questioning look, mm -hmm. the disbelief, but then I'll often get a question. Yeah. Which I love because it reminds me that we are questioning it, mm -hmm. but we just don't necessarily have 
the outlet to give us answers. Well, exactly, because I would say this is something that I hope we can change, you know, going forward is that I think we look at the the industry, the, mm-hmm. the funeral industry and people who are funeral directors. Mm-hmm. We've cast a sort of darkness over them in general because we sort of need to to keep right. ourselves separated from the thought that we're going to die, you know, right. and that those are the people who take care of that dark thing that we don't want to talk about and we don't want to deal with. Right. But as we know, these are just members of our community who are awesome and who are trying their best. A lot of these are small business owners mm-hmm. who are, you know, they're serving our community. In a way that is so commendable. And so important. <laughs> I mean, it's taking care of our loved ones, you know, and honoring us and helping yeah. us to celebrate the life of someone that, you know. I did my business school dissertation on kind of how the funeral came to be what it is today in the funeral homes and the business. And what's so interesting is just kind of the the need grew basically as people were went from being buried in their backyards to being buried in cemeteries. You needed a quote unquote undertaker mm-hmm. to take the body. Yeah. And since then, you know, they were important people in our society. They were the ones who cared for our loved ones when we couldn't anymore. Exactly. And I think that slowly we're changing. And younger people are entering the industry, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. I mean, we've it, met some great people. Exactly. And hopefully that's where the future is going, to a more positive place where we can see those those members of our community as part of us. You mm-hmm. know, we just realize, like, look, we're all in this together. Be, be positive about yeah. it. Like, I mean, okay, not rah-rah, let's all die. We don't mean that. We just mean positive in the sense that it's a part of our story. It's a part of life. There's nothing that makes me happier than when people come to me and say, you know, this might sound stupid, but... There are no stupid questions. Yeah. Is there a question or a couple questions that most people ask you? And I wonder what those are. Or is there like one kind of question that everyone always I mean, asks everyone you? says, do you see dead bodies? <laughs> you know, well, obviously. I mean, um, of course. It's <laughs> um, kind of part of the job I description. I think people, I always get the how do you do it? Are you sad? You know. Yeah. But then I think the other questions are kind of as you work through it. Mm-hmm. What comes out at the end of almost every questioning series is, hey, can I tell you a story? Mm. And I think it's amazing because everyone has a story. They just don't get to share it because it's still taboo to talk about funerals. Yeah. And often they'll say, can I tell you a funny story? There is humor. Oh, There's yes. humor in everything. You know, as a wedding planner, no event goes off. Without something going wrong. Yes. And it's okay to laugh at a wedding that's totally acceptable, but for some reason at a funeral. Yes. You know, it's not. Well, I think it's just that when you attend a funeral, for example, there's the family who are very sad. Mm -hmm. And nobody in that group wants to look as if they're being disrespectful to that sadness. Right. It's everyone's playing a role. Right. You know, and to a certain extent, I guess, in society, like, we have to do that. You know, we're, we're mourning together, whatever it is. So I do think it's for... The people who are hosting, I mean, of course, you can't put that burden on them because they're they're sad. Right. But they do set the tone for what type of celebration it is. And, of course, for every person, it's different. I remember for Dad, we had, um, we had a 
Jewish dad. We had a wake the night before. Nice. We had Shiva falling, and it wasn't traditional Shiva. There were no mirrors covered. It was just we opened our house to love and to friends and to family and anyone. I remember, you know, it was going so well. We just kind of kept doing it. Mm. And a few nights in, my mom turned to one of my girlfriends. It was probably a Friday night or something. She said, don't you have somewhere better to be? (laughs) And without missing a beat, she turned to my mom and she said, I'm not here for bread. I'm here for the open bar. (laughs) And I just thought that was so wonderful because, you know, obviously she was there for my dad. But it was just exactly what the answer my dad would have wanted, which was make light of the situation, but be there. Be there, acknowledge, and do exactly what I needed at the time. I needed my friends Mm -hmm. to support me and yet not to sit there staring at me in silence. Right. But to smile. Yes. And I think that's what's so important. That's what you and I talk about all the time is the personalizing this and Mm -hmm. treating it in a human way. Yes, exactly. I know for sure that when my time comes, I want people having a good time. Right. Hey, maybe I want them to cry a little bit about me. They love me. You know, I mean, not. I don't want them to hurt. Right. But like, you know, be nice if someone thought it was, you know, sad that I was gone. But I'll be sad that you're gone. <laughs> Thank you. But I do want them to have fun, you know, because that's how it would be most like me. I remember a couple of days after I was still, you know, molded to my couch and you know, was using my dog as a pillow. But poor, <laughs> poor little girl. And one of my friends just said, this isn't what your dad would want. You know, he wouldn't want you just giving up. And that rang a bell for me. Mm. And I think that for me, what always helps is to think about what that person would have wanted. Yes, exactly. For all aspects of the funeral, the grief, et cetera. Yes. And again, there's no one right or wrong answer. The best thing that a person can do is to think about, reflect on, write down, and share what they want with the people who are close to them so that there is a, a farewelling plan. Just to try as much as possible to take a little bit of that difficulty away from People who are very sad and have to make, you know, basically if you talk about event planning, wedding planning, you got like a year. You got nine months to a year and a half to plan this wedding. You can take all your time you want, but when someone is grieving and has to put together a funeral, it's like a matter of days. I think we kind of say that with ease, but if there's anything I stress, it's make a plan as minimal or as, you know, as detailed as you want. But do something and then really have it known. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been in situations where family, friends have said to me, because I'm this funeral person, you know, when I die, I really want. And they'll give me something personalized, detailed. And then when they pass away and I go to their next of kin and say, hey, you know, I had this conversation. My wishes don't get heard. My voice isn't heard because... They think they knew best. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of unfathomable to them that this is what that person would have wanted. Right. And I'm not unique in that position. Oh, no. I think the only difference is that people do talk to me, so I happen to know what they want. Yeah. They're not afraid to share it with you. Right. But my dad left us no information. Mm. And I can tell you there are things that I regret doing for his funeral. Mm. Many. A couple of big ones. Now, over the years, as I've dwelled in this and thought long and hard, I wonder if I've been happy if I made a different decision. Mm. And that's the part that I think is really interesting is because I don't know, I'll never be completely satisfied with either answer. Right. You know, there's pros and cons to everything. Yeah. And maybe I did the right thing in certain aspects. I think I did and certain I didn't. 
But without having his wishes, you know, whatever he would have wanted is what I would have done. Exactly. And I think particularly if it comes to where you want to save and where you want to splurge, mm-hmm. that's a tough decision for someone else to make. That's true. Right. That is true because when there is no plan, you know, I mean, gosh, everything comes into it. There's so much emotion. There's like that wanting to honor the person you love, you know, most in this right. world and wanting them to have the best of everything and then walking into a world where, you know, most people know nothing about right. the funeral industry and there is not necessarily always a lot of transparency there. And, well, if this is the best of the best, then I should get that, you know. Right. But but who knows if the person would have even wanted that. Right. My dad wasn't a spender. And when it push came to shove, I couldn't imagine not spending everything on the person who, you know, was half of what gave me life exactly, um, and gave me happiness. I, I remember going through all these thoughts in my head that this is the last thing I'm going to choose for him and I'll never be able to buy him a birthday card. I'll never be able to buy him a birthday present. Like, this is it. Mm-hmm. How, could I, how could we not splurge? But then in retrospect, he would have said, absolutely not. You know, put me in something reasonable and then either A, give it to charity or B, spend it on vacation for the three of you, my mom, my brother, and I. Nothing would make him happier yeah. than knowing the three of us were taking a trip together afterwards. But that's just not how your brain thinks. And I, I often use the analogy of buying a carton of milk. You know, think about how many decisions go into buying milk. Is it full fat skim? Is it is it dairy or is it, you know, alternative? And then where you buy it? Do you buy it at the closed bodega that's more expensive? Or do you walk all the way, you know, to the... And these are all decisions that go into a carton of milk exactly. where the variety of price is probably a few dollars. <laughs> you know, and now think about what you're spending on a funeral. Well, I hope it doesn't happen, but if I die before my mother, I want her to know that I want to party. I don't want sadness. I don't want her to cry. So you told her that? Yes. Okay. So you've actually talked about death with your mother? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. You know, when I frustrate her and she says, when I die, this is going to happen to you, this is what they I'd be like, it's okay. When I die, this is what's going to happen to you. Oh, my God. So I started as a joke, but then, like, as I got older, I, I would question her because I want to know how she wants to, to, to be celebrated. She wants to be cremated. I don't have a preference. Okay. So it's whatever comes. I grew up in a very heavily influenced drug environment, so I have upwards of like 23 kids and I'm only 28 that I know that have died before 20. So it's like death was around a lot. Has that changed your feeling or attitudes about? Not really. It's kind of just like, it's going to happen. I mean, you can't expect it, so you just have to live, you know, as you are. Yeah. Yeah. So now I just want to ask you some questions about you. You're newly married. I am. Congratulations. Thank you by the very way. much. What I'd like to know is, how does your new husband feel about, like when you were first dating, mm-hmm. what did you tell him? I'm a funeral director. And what did he say? Like, I, how did that go? So fun fact, I've actually known him for almost as long as I've been, actually longer than I've been a funeral director. We think that we first met at my dad's funeral. Oh my God. Yes. He was a friend of my brother's and out of respect came to my brother's father's funeral. Wow. And so he thinks the first time we, you know, he saw me was when I was giving a eulogy. Oh my God. Do you remember him 
or not no. really? Yeah. No. Okay. I remember a sea of dark yes, colors. Of course, of course. And my grandmother in white. <laughs> mm. That's a whole other story. Oh boy. Um, but he he struggled with my career. Actually, his mother passed away after my father. Mm. But it's something that I think brought us closer was that I wasn't afraid to talk about it and ask how he was doing. Mm. And he's less comfortable with the topic. He has since become more so. I think as he's seen, you know, we've our friends have lost parents. And he's seen, you know, this is what I do. And it has helped people we we both love. And as that happened, I think he became more comfortable and realized the importance mm-hmm. and is slowly more comfortable with, what he's going through and look we're it's real to him mm-hmm. you know I, i'm not sure i could have been with someone who didn't empathize yeah. with my pain and you know on that note i was a disaster with wedding planning quite frankly i'm surprised i got through it surprised we got through it because often i would just break down crying my dad died over 10 years ago i mean i was i thought i was the most healthy griever ever. I'm a, you know, I'm a fellow in thanatology. I, I know grief. And yet the wedding hit me. And the idea of walking down an aisle without my father was just more than I could handle. Mm. And so he really wanted to go church wedding. And I actually had to say, I can't. Mm. I just can't. And I'm not sure somebody else would have understood mm-hmm. that what it took for me to say, I can't do that. Well, that's just one more reason why he's a keeper. He is a keeper. That he is. (laughs) Now I'm going to ask you some practical farewelling considerations. Let's do it. Organ donation, (laughs) yes or no? Yes. 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 Every part of it, yes. I actually personally am a fan of giving, you know, whether you're comfortable or not, if you want an open casket, this is an option. But some people give skin for those who are victims of fire, of burns, Mm -hmm. and you can give your eyes in certain situations. Again, it all depends on what shape you are when you die. Yeah, of course. But I am a big, big believer. We can't take it with us. Yes. It's a no-brainer to me. Everybody should be an organ donor. Okay. So everybody, be an organ donor. If you want to find out how to be an organ donor, visit myfarewelling.com, and we'll have a link up for you so you can take care of that right away. Okay. Now, what do you want done with your own body? Whatever's right. left. Whatever's what's left. What's happening? It's going to be boring. It's probably going to be a cremation. I'm really claustrophobic. Okay. And I hate bugs. So we shared both of those. <laughs> right. Both of those. I uh, also my aversions. problem with burial is that I don't like being tied to one place. So at least with cremation I can I'm portable. And I'm small to begin with. So. <laughs> you are. You're very petite. If you give away half of your stuff, right. there's only gonna be a little right. bit left little of you bit, anyway. Little, Peggy Lizzie. little sprinkle here, a little sprinkle there. <laughs> now, what's one unknown fact about you that you would like included in your obituary hmm i believe in past lives and i believe in ghosts okay yeah i think in my past life number one i lived in africa in one of my past lives and number two i was a dog yes (laughs) (laughs) all right i have a weird but were you a dog in africa or were you no i don't think these are separate past i think those are separate but also i have a weird connection to dogs i feel like we kind of communicate at another level okay yeah 
do you have a farewelling plan that is like written down in super detail what you want to wear or what what you want done you know all of that stuff like a whole file of course i do okay of course because i'm a responsible adult and so i have my farewelling plan there are people out there i love who will be responsible for my funeral and i don't want to put the burden on them Earlier on in our conversation, we were talking about the amazing musical selections at your father's celebration. Yes. What would be on your farewelling playlist? I mean, I've got to be honest. I really liked how that white rabbit turned out. Yeah. <laughs> I may have to copy him so on So are those. you a big classic rock? I am. I'm a Rolling Stones girl. Okay. Yeah. I'm a big Elton John fan. Okay. You know, My Way's the classic song. Oh, or, yeah. You know, Wonderful World. and the, No, mine would be just Rocket Man. Okay. <laughs> If you could write your own epitaph, yes. by the way, let me back up. I know you love cemeteries a lot. Oh, do I love cemeteries? We both love them. That might be my little-known fact, except that I post from every cemetery, Matt. So well, that's true. Not and, a, <laughs> and another thing I love about your husband is he allows you to drag him with you. Oh, I love him so much for yeah. it. I don't mean this in any kind of, like, ghoulish way at all. Like, cemeteries are beautiful places. People, they are, they're parks. They are absolutely beautiful. He and I had the pleasure of being at my favorite one together in Russia, which are the headstones are replicates, uh, you know, or monuments to whatever that person did. So if they drove a tank, there's a tank on top. If they were, mm. you know, a pianist, they had their pianos, you know, a statue of their pianos. It's like there are some great cemeteries out there. And he's not only come to appreciate them, but also knows how much I love them. Yeah. Do you have a favorite euphemism for, for death? You know, I, I often will ask people, Instead of asking how if they're well, so are you still vertical? Oh, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, when people ask how I am, I say I'm vertical. You know, what could be better? Yeah, so, I'm gonna go back to Elton John and be like, I'm still standing. Still standing. <laughs> my my <laughs> earrings are still hanging. They're hanging vertically. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for for being here with us today, and you know we're gonna be doing it again and again. I look forward to each and every one of them. Thanks for listening to this episode of Farewelling. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends.